This is always a big, big topic for us coaches. Are we stopping and just playing off the switch? Or we should just keep the flow of the offense and the flow of the offense is going to find the mismatch. And sometimes I don't want to overcoach. You know, I'm really someone really detailed. I try to spend time on X and O's, on papers. And sometimes I'm like, okay, never forget that flow of the offense is something that you need to keep. And how you find a way to attack the switch without killing the flow of the offense. Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome French professional coach, Mehdi Mary. Coach Mary is here today to discuss attacking the switch, including specific actions versus general concepts, and we talk favorite drill constraints and the importance of concise language during our always fun start, sub, or sit. With members from the MBA to high school levels, we're excited to continue building a highly valuable learning and community platform called SG+. With SG+, we aim to bring the highest quality and deepest insights of the game from around the world on a weekly basis through our almost 600 video archive on SGTV, private coaching community app, in our long read Sunday morning newsletter. If you're looking to explore and learn the game on a deeper level, or just save yourself time searching the internet for the best backdoor plays in Europe, visit slappingglass.com today and see why current members are calling it an essential platform for high-level coaching anywhere. We hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Medi Mary. Coach, thank you very much for making some time for us. We had a chance to see you in Las Vegas this summer, which was great. And so it's nice to see you again. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for the invitation. As I say, it's an honor for me to join you guys. Appreciate that, Coach. We like to start with this and we like to talk about switching, attacking switching. And so many defenses now have gotten great at switching all kinds of actions, whether it's all the actions or just pick and roll or whatever it is. And we wanted to discuss thoughts on how to run offense and attack a switch when let's say you don't just want to come down and get a switch and play isolation right away or you want to just dump it into the post but you want to continue to run some kind of offense and how you think about teaching your team ways to still attack a switching defense no matter you know kind of who you have on the floor so we'll start there and then we'll kind of dive in deeper that's a big topic to me that's like a very important one and i always try to you know spend a lot of time during preseason for that and especially during season i have a rule in my mind is like the first day of practice after the game doesn't matter what's happened the game before i always have part of this practice attacking the switch why because back in the day when a team were in trouble they were going zone defense different kind of zone defense now when a team is in trouble you know they're going to switch it's like the common answer that everybody can give and i believe that you got to be ready as a coach to this answer especially to answer this kind of issue especially because you know that a lot of teams are going to do that if they are in trouble and i believe that our job is to be prepared for things for sure things that should happen and we got to anticipate things that cannot happen but for sure many times during season you're going to have to face switching offense especially if you are doing a great game 
And then second thing is, I believe that bad offensive switch is a really difficult for coach because the game is, you know, static. Nobody's sharing the ball. Everybody starts being frustrated. And that's exposed. This is my feeling. That exposed a lot of time the coach, you know. We don't have a, an answer to this kind of issue that the opposite team is proposing to us. That's something that I really try to spend a lot of time and my mind is already like this. First day of practice, doesn't matter win or loss, doesn't matter what's happened last game, we talk about how we will attack this week. And coach, maybe diving in right away, what are some of those things that you discuss in that first practice on attacking the switch? Because everything is about personnel you have, you need to decide. My idea is to decide how we want to attack the switch. And I always think you need to have generic and specific. What does it mean? Generic is how we're going to attack the switch if we don't know that they will switch. We are running something, and for whatever reason, they are switching. They are in delay. That's in their game plan. But this is the very beginning of the possession that you have this because after a timeout or whatever. This is how we're going to attack switch in a generic way. And now we need to choose something. For sure, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, it's easy if you have a crazy ISO player to say, okay, we're just giving one-on-one or at least boomerang pass and one-on-one. If you have this type of player, you don't have to show everybody that you are someone special as a coach. You want to go more complex stuff than what your team needs to win. If you have a crazy ISO player, just one-on-one, just boomerang one-on-one, maybe some flare screens, or just space the floor, be ready for offensive rebound, okay. Or if you have a crazy poster player, you're going to give him the ball on the block, he's going to do something. But if we don't take those stuff, there are many different ways to attack the switch. So I try to split. Generic, how are we going to attack generic? Like we don't know they are switching, they are switching, how we can manage it? And specific, and after we can go in detail on both. Specific is we know they're going to switch. We know this is hand of quarter, few seconds, we have a ball screen. We know they're going to switch. So at the end, it's like how we attack the switch. But we know they are switching and we have like some specific situations perfect to attack the switch. Let's say it's like on, I'm talking about pick and roll, but it's like you're playing Golden State and you are switching the off screen. You know they're going to fake to set a player screen. They're going to slip it and play on that. We all know that, right? Off screen, switch the wires. Flare screen, they slip it and they play on that. To me, it looked like a specific. They know they're going to switch, they use this. So this is, yeah, the two ways. And after, if we go about, maybe you want to go more in detail for both now. Absolutely. My mind, I have like a Excel worksheet. All the defense that you can have in a game from very aggressive to non-aggressive. Hard edge, quick show, contain, ice, you know, everything. And this is a way to manage my mind and all the possibility. And after I cross with this team, I can do this. And I pick, okay, generic, I pick this, this, and this for my team, for what I am. Because let's say, when I look at the Zalgiris playoff last year during EuroLeague, they were doing something very interesting to switch. I have a big man on me. They pass the ball to someone else. This guy is a driving to moving far from him. Maybe you saw that. And then I run. It's like a boomerang, but first of all, I make my defender with a big run. So after, it's not like, it's really a closeout, you know? Even if my man is not helping, you know, because we used to say, okay, someone drive the gap, the big is going to want to stunt or just help. And when I receive, 
we kick, I receive, I play one-on-one -on, -one on the catch. But it's even more movement than this. I'm running, he's running with me, we clear out, the guy driving to me, pass me in middle ball, and then I play one-on-one. -on -one. That could be a good option. And I try to have ton of different options in my Excel. And then after, I'm like, okay, with this team, what should I pick? Let's say something else, something that I like. We set a first ball screen, they switch. We come reset, but we know they're going to switch it. So we sleep it. So it's like screening, you roll, come back, sleep. And that's create confusion, let's say. Mm -hmm. To me, at the end of the day, it's to have a lot of material as a coach, but especially be ready to which one I'm going to pick because of my team. And when you go to specific and you know the switch is coming, whether you mentioned the Warriors, what are you working with your screeners then in terms of do you screen, do you slip? When you know it's coming, I guess, how are you working with your screeners on and off the ball? Let's say my last team, France specifically, because we are very short point guards. And sometimes it's not that easy for a big man to screen and seal because we have a lot of short point guards. You know, there is not many leagues in Europe with so many short point guards. So sometimes when you want to take advantage on the screen and seal, you know, like screening is switch under. So how I pivot to keep him on my back or switch over how I pivot. In French league, sometimes I don't feel really confident on that because so small, fast point guard, it's not sometimes really easy for big to touch them without offensive foul. So my last team, I was more about like screening, okay, when on specific actions, take dive, and we know they're going to triple maybe. So we decide who's going to be the triple, you know? And then we try to have the first pass after the pick and roll for a great passer. And then after, the guy who passed can, I mean, he have the first mismatch, can give spacing. We let the big man dive and seal the guy who's going to probably do a triple. And then here we have the ball to our best passer to find the open man. But especially was about sealing the big. That was the first idea. In that triple situation, coach, are you looking to put another weaker defender who you know will triple switch? Or is it a shooter or a specific like offensive personnel you want? that could also be receiving off of a skip. Exactly. We try to, both options. Sometimes we try to use a specific, uh, there were three options, let's say. Specific defender. Let's say this guy, if they switch on this, we are putting this play, so we have this defender up there, and we seal him all night long. Okay? After, I'm always worrying about to not make it too much a chest game. If you do this, and a great shooter of your team is not, guarding by this guy and you don't put a great shooter of your team in situation to shoot you know what i mean because your great shooter is there but the help is coming from here you know that he's never going to receive there will be inside pass help on the weak side pass over there or maybe you set a flare screen on the weak side but your best shooter is here and he's not having the ball so can be a bad defender can be where our best shooter is and sometimes it's like especially against triple switch we can run a set without a triple you said a side, a side pick and roll, empty corner, no triple. I mean, difficult. You know, side pick and roll to go inside. If they go through that, that's a very, very difficult situation. To answer about your question about the screener, I'm not kind of guy who have like one way. That's always the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. With national team, you know, U18, U19, U20, we play different teams, as you know. And let's say you play Greece sometimes. They have a tall guards. It's okay. You can set, seal him. He's going to fight with you. So you set, you seal him, you keep him on your back and you can have hook pass over, you receive, you, or you're playing in France with not so many guys like this. That's a danger, let's say. Offensive foul, always the same danger. 
Coach, we're talking a little bit about some specific actions. I'd love to go back and ask you about the generic actions. And if you're just not sure if a team's going to switch, what it is that you're teaching and thinking about to still help the offense move if you're just not sure what they're going to do? This is always a big, big topic for us coaches. Are we stopping and just playing off the switch? Or we should just keep the flow of the offense and the flow of the offense is going to find the mismatch. And sometimes I don't want to overcoach. You know, I'm really someone really detailed. I try to spend time on X and O's, on papers. And sometimes I'm like, okay, never forget that flow of the offense is something that you need to keep. And how you find a way to attack the switch without killing the flow of the offense. And I had issue against Cholet a couple of years ago. You know, Cholet, the team who used to have a lot of French guys and, you know, the Colo, Gobert and everything. Herman Kunter were the coach over there. And they were switching, but with the really athletic team. So the three other guys were really hard on passing lane. They switch by two, and the three other guys are hard on passing lane. So that's not easy to keep the flow of the offense. It's not like they are switching, but the three other guys are showing themselves real stunt and everything. You can keep the flow and the other guys know they switch and the throw the guys denying hard and they let you play two on two. And against those teams, you cannot keep the flow. So it's always a balance. You know, I used to convince myself because me internally, if you ask me, oh, okay, they switch. We know exactly how we want to attack. Even if it's a generic, we didn't know, but we have a really, you know, clear idea about how we want to attack the switch and we go this way. You know, sometimes I may convince myself and be like, no, no, don't keep the flow. So it's an internal, you know, battle, let's say. Coach, in other conversations we've had, attacking a switch, if you know a team is kind of switching a lot of your actions, how much you think about slipping or ghosting or just hard cutting versus trying to screen or trying to be, like you said, a chess match and tricky and get a mismatch? I mean, how much of that part of that flow is just, just continuing to cut and slip actions versus try to actually screen? Well, with the foreman, it's pretty clear. If a team is switching the pick and roll with the four, that's clearly because it's a stretch four who can make threes. And everybody is running by this way. So I love the idea of having a ram screen from the five or maybe something like even more complicated. But like, let's say you said a stagger with the first one curl and the four use the screen of the five to set a ghost and pop. I was running these kind of things, you know, a lot. Ghost and pop or ram plus ghost and pop because we know they are switching. With the foreman, to me, it's really clear. Why? Because if you let them switch without advantage and you want to play mismatch, on the past, that will be five in the paint, helping everywhere. So it's not that easy. In France, we have a tradition of playing the mismatch of the four around the elbow. You can imagine top pick and roll with the four, switching. The four is going elbow. We try to give him, and he's playing almost a one-on-one, similar to back to the basket with the five men on the dunker spot opposite, ready for offensive rebound, and we play one-on-one from here. And at the end, it's not that bad because. If you bring the ball on the elbow, you have both corners, you have one dunker spot, the big, the other player is stretching the floor. If someone helped, he can see the whole court, nobody's helped. He can have maybe not an easy basket because X5 is still here, but like a, maybe a fadeaway and everything. So with the four, sleep, gusts, or ramp plus sleep is pretty clear of what I like. And with the five, as I said, you know, really, really depend on personnel. I don't have issue to say, okay, with these five men, we set, even if they switch, and we play other continuity, and with him, we just sleep it. Because he's like faster and or more able to do something. It's not that easy to run, sleep it, receive, and the game is over there. So it's not, you know, that easy. 
So I try to keep it simple, but in the same time, use the personnel. The season is here, but we know that many coaches are already looking ahead at international trips in 2024 and 25. Ourselves, along with a number of former podcast guests, cannot say enough great things about our experiences working with Josh Erickson and his team at Beyond Sports. From handling flights, hotels, game scheduling, excursions, service learning opportunities, and more, Josh and his team provide unmatched service and support throughout the entire trip. To learn more about why more than 650 programs have trusted Beyond Sports, visit beyondsportstours.com and tell them Slopping Glass sent you. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Huddle and their latest product, Huddle Instat. Whether for podcast prep, newsletter ideas, or putting together our weekly short and long-form video breakdowns, we rely heavily on Huddle Instat's advanced analytics and extensive content library containing over 460 U.S. and international competitions. For more information on Huddle Instat, visit huddle.com slash slapping glass today. Coach, within this flow versus stopping to attack mismatches, and we're looking at the generic component, what role does maybe the shot clock play in terms of we should try to get the switch earlier so you have more time to hunt the mismatch or hunt a solution? You know, I guess what factors do you consider with the shot clock now into how you want to attack a generic switch? Well, for sure. Short clock, we don't have any idea to bring the ball on the block. They trap. We've got to skip up with it. They run off. You know, they close out hard. We don't have any options. So the idea will be to play uh, outside game. I love, for sure, the idea of uh, boomerang, but especially boomerang to attack back in the same side. I pass, I receive, and during the pass, you know, all the defense is moving. And if I attack, they will be ready. But that's like more generic, let's say, idea than I have, but I don't try to put too much on the head of the player. But the rules will be more about having screens on the weak side. It will be more about this, you know. Okay, short clock. We have to play one-on-one off the catch, like boomerang or just one-on-one, but we need movement on the weak side. That will be specific and something that I will, you know, work on many actions of drive. Like if someone drive, I believe that we cannot let three-on-two on the weak side all the time, but try to create two-on-one by someone setting a screen. And then on the weak side will be more, if someone ahead, there will be more two-on-one. You know, the national team coach Vincent Collet is doing, you know, he's trying this a lot, especially with his team during the season. The team he coached during season, they're having a lot of flare screen on the weak side and doing the one-on-one of the switch. That would be the idea. And you see a lot too, let's say, in these specific late clock situations. And you boomerang, you're going to ISO where the defense will just basically run a double at the ball and force the pass. How do you think about maybe attacking that or I guess working with a run and jump late clock on that perimeter mismatch? Yeah. Did you see the EuroLeague game? Not this one, but final four the year before when Mitchich had the one-on-one against Bezenkov. Did you see that? Yeah. They didn't double him. Remember? Yeah. yeah. They didn't double him. I believe that some teams, and that's a good idea to bring the ball out of the hand of Micic, let's say, the best one-on-one player. To me, it's like how you... And that's a big topic for the youngs. It's like how you attack the full-court defense. The zone press, the run and jump, next defense on the pick and roll is the same idea about moving without the ball. That means if you have the mismatch and my man is coming to double you, I got to put myself available to generate a four-on-three really fast when the ball will go out of your hands. And I got to show you that if you go trap, I will follow you and I will give a passing lane to the ball handler 
and maybe you will take the ball out of the hands of the, our best player, but you will, because of your action, you will generate a four and three because I will be at the perfect spot for Mike James to pass me the ball and then we have a four and three. To me, it's more about moving without ball to generate a passing lane and put the defense in trouble if they do this unbelievable action because let's be honest, so far from the basket doubling the ball at a problem, it's a big topic, you know? Because if the ball is in my hand, let's say around three throw, because you double, maybe I go more from to the half court line, maybe I go between both defenders around three throw, it's like a short hole, but he's never a big man. So it's like playing a short hole with a guard. I'm a guard, I would receive the ball on the free throw, and we are four on three. Shooters in the corner, shooters in the corner, one big inside. I gotta make you pay the price of this very big gambling. If not, Mike James will be mad because that's easy. Doesn't matter what you're doing on the pick and roll. Doesn't matter. You switch and then you trap him. If you don't want to edge or whatever, you switch. Boom, you trap. We don't give solutions to him. Keep the ball too much. Not easy to generate passing line. And then the four and three is a four and three and a half with one second, a four and four. Okay, they will keep doing it. It's the same. This is what I was saying before about how we attack, let's say, full court defense with the youngs. Make them pay. B, it's not about passing. It's about moving without ball at the right spot so the ball arrives. And you got a layup, one, two, three layups. Okay, it's over. They cannot cut your timing of your offense by doing this. His mistake against Badalona at EuroLeague Junior when I was coaching the junior team, U18 team of Asve. They were doing this all game long. Run and trap, run and jump, full court and everything. And we never made them pay the price. We were crossing half court, organizing our game, and we lost by very few points. But after watching the game, I was like, yes. Sometimes they made some steals who gave layup, but by not attacking it in a good way to, to score baskets, we encourage them to keep going the same way. If it's in the generic attacking sense, we've been looking a lot at like ball screens. We've talked a little bit about off screens, but when you know a team's switching, going to more, let's say, handoffs or even more like split actions in terms of trying to punish a switch that way and what you think about moving away from on ball screens and what actions you like to go to to punish switching teams. For sure. Because it's not a, something major, let's say, off screen as uh, on ball screen, but it's something that we can have. And I believe Golden State is doing a great job about this, like off screen switch with the you know flare screen and slip the flare, back screen, but keep the guy on the back screen, and then how you can have you know these actions against attacking off ball screen switch. You, you get it? Yeah. And all the split actions, which is not easy to attack. I like one way of I cannot say maybe split action, but it's like when you give the ball on the block to uh, not a five-man, huh? and you try to have like a stagger on the weak side, but the first screen is by a guard, and the second one is like a, a big man. And then you play on this first one, because if it's a team who wants to switch, your first screen is set by a point guard on the two, on the three, on the four, doesn't matter. But that's a very first switch, middle of the paint, with a short pass, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You put the block on one side, you set this, and that's a short pass. If they switch, the mismatch is right under the basket. You know, you curl and you use. And then after the guy who set the frost can use the stagger, you use the screen of the of the five men going high. This type of actions are something, you know, I try to value to have in mind, you know, before the game. Maybe you have Argentinian transition. You get it one pass to the big and go handoff and then the two rings on the both corner exchange and we set a cross game for the big. That's a great way to attack a switching team. Coach, 
This has been great so far. Thank you for all your thoughts on the switch. That was a lot of notes there. We want to transition now to a segment that we call start, sub, or sit. We'll give you three different options around a topic, ask you to start one, sub one, and sit one, and then we will discuss your answer from there. So coach, if you're all set, we'll dive into this first one. I sub myself and I stop both of you. (laughs) 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 There you go. Coach, this first question has to do with being a good teacher on the court and what it is that you value or that you've seen that you think that great coaches, when they teach something well, what it is that they possess on the court. Let's say they're teaching a new action. And so start, sober, sit, these three different traits of great teachers. Option one is adaptability. Option two is creativity, thinking of different ways to attack things. And option three is concise language or having a vocabulary that you can express to the players that they know what they're talking about? Oh, I would start adaptability for sure. Okay. I would put concise language on sub and creativity maybe on so That's not easy because all the three are keys, but I believe that, you know, teaching new, new actions, you need first to adapt to your personnel, especially at a pro level. As I used to say, it's better to spend very few time on something really good for your team considering or your player what he can do than do something perfectly doing many hours but this is not the best way for him to play coach i actually love to go back and ask you about your start adaptability and you know pat and i were talking a little bit beforehand about great teachers especially as we're recording this it's somewhat early in the season and teams are figuring out who does what, who plays well with each other and how you just think about, say, in a practice setting, putting players in a situation where you can kind of see how they play together and then what you need to maybe adapt to as the season continues to progress. Success is preparation. So it's about video session. It's about me watching what they did before. After the court, especially pro with the pros, the court should be just a validation or not about what you what I saw before. But watching them play before and sitting and talking with them are keys for preparing yourself about what you should do with them. Because time on the court have too much value to take risk of you know spending hours on something that's not the, the best ways. You can never be sure, but if you watch what they did before. I don't mean you need to keep the same place, but maybe watching the action, they were comfortable and everything. You sit, you talk. Now I decide, I made the mix about everything and we try on the floor. Another factor we are considering with adaptability is also so many players learn differently. So how as you as a coach, how do you discover how they learn and then start to apply that so they can pick up these concepts? I work with a model. Model is a process communication. I don't know if you guys know that. Or it's like you have com colors, you have MBTI, you have, you know, different kind of model. Process communication is a model of management and helps me out to know who got which kind of energy, let's say. Someone who is really analyzer, let's say. We used to say workaholic, that was the name before, but since a couple of years in this model, they say analyzer. He needs concrete information. You don't have always to explain him the big picture the reason why you are doing this, you just need clear information. I need you to go here to there, this way, and that's enough for him. And that's some other kind of personality who needs different type of communication, who need to understand the why, who need maybe to think outside the box, so we don't feel comfortable if you put them in a too small box and they just believe that they are soldiers, they just have to go from point A to point B. No, they don't feel comfortable on that. 
So it's, I'm using this model. There are many models, but I love this. And I try to use this to understand myself better first. And I think it's key as a coach to understand yourself better because who you are and what is your job is really going together very deep as a coach. This is why Messina used to say that to be a great leader, you need to be in peace with yourself. And I love that. I mean, game day, you guys know that. That's so emotional, so inside, so deep that you need to be in peace with yourself. So I try, you know, to adjust my communication depending who they are and what kind of thing they need. That's funny. I had Marcus Guignard, you know, coming from University of North Carolina in Limoges. And sometime, you know, last minutes of the game, he was coming to me and be like, but he knew that. But he, he was kind of, you know, analyzer. Coach, we are okay that with the firemen, we are going hard edge. We don't deny first pass. We are ready. And with the four, we try to stick under and reset, we switch. And I was like, exactly, Marcus. And I was repeating and everything. You know, he was this kind of guy. We were needing, you know, concrete information, positive reinforcement or just reinforcement, not more. Not why or could we do something else? No. Coach, your sit creativity, and I know it was probably a difficult one to sit of all these three. When you think about trying to be creative, what are your sources of creativity? Watching other coaches, film of your own players. How do you find your source of creativity as a coach? It's the difficult part for me. I used to watch hours of Sarona Jeskevichus games with Barcelona and everything. It's Everything is really well organized, prepared and everything. And that's who I am and what I like. And sometimes I'm going too deep on that. And that killed the creativity a little bit of the player. So what I do is I start stopping a little bit or reducing type of coaches I'm watching. And I love the Israel. Israel Gonzalez. Exactly. The thing he's doing with Alba. And I watch the game. And you know what? I bowed on your website uh, something you did with him about defense. So I start watching him. So you're asking me how I develop this creativity. I, I start watching his games and how the team play. And it's more about concepts than plays. And that gives a little bit more freedom on the guys. And same. I spent a couple of times with Badalona, the ACB team, and I watched some practices. That was crazy because they are preparing a game and the opponent, you know, that was Tour Telecom Ankara and they are switching the top ball screen like a week, you know, or ice between ice week, it doesn't matter, but that was the idea. And they worked on I don't know how many ways to attack this possibility. So it's more about being creative. You can give, go hand off, you can give cut, the next one's going to come, you can give split actions and everything. And in my mind, that was very, very interesting that it's far from me, but I know I got to go this way a little bit. So I spoke with Israel a little bit in Las Vegas and I thank him because you are helping me to go outside of my comfort zone of what I like. But I was also in Manresa watching some practice. And but Manresa is like me, you know, like how things need to be done and they repeat. And it's not so many different ways, you know, to attack yeah. than what is preparing. So yeah, this is how I try to. But I know I'm not the best at this. <laughs> We are always happy to work with companies, coaches, and creators who add value to coaches and the industry. So we're very excited to announce our newest partner and the official presenter of Start, Sub, or Sit, Just Play. Just Play is the premier platform for engaging your team and managing workflow within your organization. Just Play consolidates the platforms you use and integrates with industry-leading video tools to help coaches win in four major areas, teaching, opponent scouting, prospect recruiting, and analytics. We recently featured Just Play founder Austin Barone on our Titan series, so you can hear much more about him 
and the growth of the company there. Additionally, Just Play will be adding PDFs and extra content you hear in this and future Start Subsit conversations. So for more information and to see that extra content, visit justplaysolutions.com slash slapping glass today. Moving on to our next one, you have some experience with the national teams, U20, U18, the use. This Start Subsit has to do with constraints that you like to use in a drill to help teach decision-making. Your start would be the one you like the most or you think is the most effective with helping decision-making. Is it a shot clock constraint? Is it a scoring constraint in terms of placing different values on the score? Or is it an action constraint in terms of, again, trying to encourage certain actions and giving them more value over others? The third one would be my start. The second one would be my sub and shot clock would be my bench. I would like to follow up first with a broader question in terms of with actions and helping guys become better decision makers. How much of it is repetition based versus actual randomness in terms of just them able to obviously first recognize the situation and then make the correct decision out of it? This is a great question. This is something I value more and more. I believe that repetition without spending time reading in the same time, you lose time. With elite players, I believe that more and more, everything got to be done considering all the different concepts. Let's say we are doing on the closeout offense. We are you and me, and you should not know what's going to happen. You are shooting. I'm defending. Someone's going to pass you the ball or I'm going to pass you the ball. And I don't want you to do, uh, let's say you make 10 threes and then now you go right, one dribble shot, you go left, step back. No, got to be a little bit, got to be like a warm up, not warming up your body, but warming up your ability. But Really, really fast. Got to be like, okay, you got five closeouts in a row. Okay, ready? We start on the baseline. You have one, second one is 45, third one is top. Okay, fourth, fifth. And I'm defending you. Someone, you know, is going to pass us the ball, but you don't know what I'm going to do. First one, maybe I fake, I go back. You got to take decision and shoot the ball. Maybe second one, I jump on your inside shoulder and you got to make a decision and in the same time working on your game versus repetitions without thinking. It's something really big to me because right now, you don't have a lot of time to take the decision during a game. So it's maybe better to spend time on both more than cutting. We work repetition and then we're going to work on quick decision making. Let's work both. If I could actually go back and ask you a question with the attacking the switching and you talked about early in the season and every practice, just practicing against the switch. How do you introduce a drill or how do you introduce attacking the switch? Are you doing three on three, four on four? How are you actually teaching it if we kind of go back to the first bucket? What I love to do, especially because it's beginning of the week and first practice and sometimes you don't want to go very, very tough on this first one, especially with pros. You got a game, let's say on Saturday, you know, in Europe, you got a game Saturday, mainly Sunday, you can be off and that's on Monday practice and your next game is maybe seven. So you don't want to drive them, run them like crazy on Monday and take some risks. So I try to work on situation where the, the mismatch is already set. So let's say you start with the five men on the free throw line with the ball, defending by a guard. And you put two wings on the both wings. And one is defending by his player, but the other one is defending by a big. And from this situation, the big man having the ball, has the ball on one side, and then we play three on three. We are more working on the end of the switch and we manage okay we pass maybe probably he's gonna dive what's gonna do the guy in the opposite if he does nothing 
probably the, the guy defending the big is going to front him and the guy opposite is going to play both and you have nothing, especially if he's athletic like players we have in Europe. So maybe he's going to come high post. So the guy needs to adjust. If he say low, we have the ball high post, maybe we can have high low. If he goes high, maybe we can have a lock pass. And we start like this. And then after, we do the same kind of drill, but we go four on four. Big man, top of the key with the guards, two wings, and one other wing in the corner. And now we put with the coach having the ball top of the key. And he's passing the ball with, to someone. But we still have the mismatch from the very beginning. And we play from this. And then after that, okay, we go four on four and we go switch. But I try to always think that we start with the end. So when we put the beginning of the action, which is the ball screen, we know we worked already what's going to be the, which was going to be the next action, the action after the action. There is the second, and then I put the first. When we are working on the first, we already have worked the second. So we win time, let's say. That's great, coach. Love that. You're off the start, sub, or sit hot seat. Thanks for playing that game with us. Loved your answer. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Coach, we've got one last question for you before we close the show. Before we do, thank you once again for coming on and being so thorough and walking through all of this stuff with us. This was really great. So thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm going to keep watching you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Coach, our last question is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? This is a great question. I think the fact that I'm you know, passionate and I love my job and I love basketball, I've been traveling a lot to see different ways to play the game. Let's say before I was with national team, you know, I was going every summer to some you know, European championship at different places and watching different games, talking, meeting people, talking with them. When I do clinic in France and I do, you know, couple of, I always try to say to coaches, spend time doing summer, you know, and this is what I did. And I think that was a great investment, you know, going somewhere, you can go, I don't know, Latvia. Now Latvia is becoming a great basketball country. But in Latvia, let's say almost every summer, you have a European championship, U16, U18, U20, doesn't matter, but you have something. And if you go for the last round, like quarter, semi and final and all the other games, you can see a ton of games. And great basketball games in a couple of days on good area. That made me see different ways to play the game, meet different people. And then after with the network I built, I can go in different places. We met in Vegas and that was there because people I've met. But it's not about networking to be friends with people. It's about networking to know more things. It's know more people to share the passion that we have. This is the first thing. And then to share, you know, ideas. What we did now was interesting for me to share my ideas. And then I watched a couple of other things that you did with slapping glass. And I love that. And that was a way for me to know different things. And then after this guy that I have seen on slapping glass or you guys, we will meet somewhere. We don't know where, but we'll meet. And we'll talk about what we say. And I get better. I love that patient. And I get better. So biggest investment to me was about, you know, traveling, meeting people, seeing different games. And when you know people, they can, you know, spend time with you, talk about how they prepare what you see from the game, how they work on that. And that was good. You know, last time I was in Vegas, not the last, the one before, I had a meal with Dainus Adomaitis, you know, who were the Lithuanian national team coach and who were coaching in Apoel, Jerusalem, when I was in Dimash and we played each other in European competition. And that was good to talk about the game, about you got to travel to have this. If you don't travel, he's not going to give me a call and say, yeah, you did this in third quarter, I was not ready, or I put you in trouble. That was great, you know. I came out of this meal, took some notes, and that was good. Very, very interesting. Great moment, same patient, and also, you know, learn. 
All right, Pat, another fun conversation to have after we once again got a chance to meet Coach Mary in Vegas as well at the social. And so it was fun to continue the conversation here as well. And this was honestly a perfect example of a conversation where we just had, as the scheduling took place, we uh, just had Coach Barash on. For us, it was only eight or nine hours ago. And we talked about at the very end, wanting to talk more about tacking switching. And so eight hours later, when this one was scheduled, it was like perfect. Our minds were fresh to dive right in with someone that teaches it very well. So that was a fun scheduling happenstance for us. Very serendipitous. And we appreciate Coach Mary's thoughts and going into the level of detail he did. I think what we appreciated, again, referencing Barack at the very end, is he laid out kind of a framework for how he thinks about attacking switch. Jumping to Coach Mary, I enjoyed the framework he presented it in, in terms of thinking of attacking a generic switch versus attacking a specific switch. And this was a conversation you and me had in our prep for Coach Mary of concepts versus action-based switching attacks. It was perfect in terms of how he viewed it and our prep. So that was nice. Yep. I enjoyed then, yeah, being able to kind of pick at that from a generic and specific standpoint and how that influenced action, screening concepts, and all the stuff that we then proceeded to go down with him. Attacking switching is a huge conversation that I know every level coaches discussing and trying to figure out because it really can stymie an offense. And I think we wanted to, like you said, have the conversation where it's not like an obvious, okay, boomerang it back and just let a guy operate against a slow-footed big or dump it inside. I mean, those things are great too, but just more of a general conversation. And it's so layered because we were talking about before in our prep, talking about attacking switching where, you know, let's say they're switching everything versus they're just switching the pick and roll late clock versus they're just switching off ball actions and they're playing more regular in the pick and roll and just all the things you need to be prepared for as a coach and then to prepare your team to play against when the game hits so that they're not just seeing something for the first time and they have ways to play against it. What we really like getting into was the specific actions versus the concept or the general stuff, teaching teams how to just play if they know a team is switching generally versus from the sideline as a coach, you can kind of dictate let's say a late clock or an early clock action to either provoke a switch or make it hard to switch. Let's he went into with it like the Ram action a little bit. So it's a big world when we're talking about attacking the switch, but it was just like a plethora of interesting ideas for coaches to think about based off of your personnel. One of the ideas I really enjoyed was when he knew against the triple switch and positioning like he said, either another inferior matchup that would go onto that triple switch or a shooter who could benefit off of maybe that skip pass when they got off it and allowed the triple switch to happen. Yep. Reminded me a lot of our conversation with Coach Bielaszewski, just understanding the nature of a triple switch and how you can kind of move the chess pieces around to continue to get advantage off of it and not just allow them to kind of get back to neutral or get favorable matchups. Really like Nugget he shared there. Yeah, it does all boil down to, like I think he mentioned at some point, like can you create a closeout somewhere and... The discussion of not getting your offense held up versus just continuing to let things flow and hope that your movement and your action creates a favorable closeout at some point. He also, this is just like another thing he threw in that Rant's playing one-on-one from the elbow. I like that a lot. 
Yeah. You and I talked about this recently. We did a little clinic thing on it too with UCLA did a good job with that with Jaime Jaquez getting the switch, playing through the elbow and then having good spacing around that. And he said that, you know, France does that really well. So I like that too, just as a little nugget of an action to run against the switching team. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was around that conversation too. He started to mention the importance of them having weak side movement too around mm-hmm. kind of these mismatches to continue to create some I mean, he said maybe with weak side movement, you can go from a three on two to create a two on one and again, create some more closeouts, some other opportunities around that switch. And that's something too that Coach Barach mentioned in his podcast that switching can also lead to some better closeouts and offensive rebounding. And I like too, I asked him about, we will see a lot. If they are going to isolate, you do have that great perimeter isolation player that teams will run and jump the ball. Again, you know, talking about thinking about creating advantages and four on three to, follow that trap and create a passing lane to punish it. And so really enjoy just how you also can think about weak side movement, weak side screens, as well to punish switches. A really detailed, great conversation about attacking switching. And there's always the option just to ISO and use your HESI package up top and jack that <laughs> yeah. all the way three too. We didn't get as deep into that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy the flow versus when to just stop and isolate and the delicate dance i think that everyone thinks about he threw the other nugget about i think is zalgris we got to look that up about them adding a little bit of movement a little cutting action to then catch with some space to operate against the big in the iso a nice thing as well all right moving to start sub or sit as always we talked for a long time about both of these but i'll kick it to you on takeaways from i guess we could start with the first one with the adaptability creative and concise language yeah i enjoyed the conversation when we got into how he kind of learns his learners and his process communication method and just understanding like who's analyzers that just need specific details and who are the guys that need kind of the whys and the bigger pictures and the importance this plays in being an effective teacher and communicating. I think he's also a very reflective coach in himself. And I thought that came across even when we were talking about switching. He always kind of had the preface that, you know, this is the way he would like it and always trying to keep it simpler and understanding that maybe he has all these ideas and these specific actions, but he can't freeze his guys up trying to think about this and that he also has to let them play. And I think this process communication method and he got into that, he also used it on himself. And that's when he mentioned Messina. What was it? The quote about being at peace with yourself. Yeah. Really enjoyed that conversation within this start subset. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was a nice thing too about him learning his players and taking those tests and learning how they like to receive information. Yeah. Uh, I think we've talked a lot with coaches about how important it is to getting to know your players is sort of a general saying, but really getting to know how they learn and how they prefer to yeah. be coached. Yeah, I can throw it to you maybe with your takeaways then moving to drill constraints and helping with decision making. Yeah, I think that It's always fun to just ask the constraint drill question to different coaches and with different levels. And, you know, he's done work obviously at the pro level and then also with youth. And so just what translates over his start being the action itself and just putting them in it and adding variability to it. And you could tell he kind of lit up a little bit about excited to talk about, you know, repetition, variability, randomness within the action and really teaching them how they have to understand all the different parts of the action. And I mean, maybe it wasn't quite as important to him to have the other constraints before having them thoroughly understand the action and what they want to do is what I kind of took from that. I wouldn't say I was surprised when it'd be the right word, but yeah, that he sat the shot clock. I feel like we've had a number of these conversations where 
I think putting a, a time constraint, shortening and making producing quicker decisions has been, uh, what would you say, like a reoccurring topic. This is why we like these start subsits and kind of recycling these questions because you get a different answer, a different perspective every time. My follow-up was first starting with the shot clock and why he sat it. And I like in his order of operations, it's like, well, that's kind of the last component of getting them to make the quick decision, but first teaching them to understand and comprehend and make correct decisions. And then the conversation then flowed because I got a chance to go back to the teaching, the switching and how he prefers to teach it. And he had a couple of nice little things in about starting with the big already with the switch at the elbow. And I guess I'll add, this was my miss or my, I wish we had more time. I think it was interesting him talking about working on the way things end. And I just think that's a great teaching point on starting with the end you know so players get used to the pictures of how a lot of offensive possessions end up a post a switch on an elbow whatever it is and just starting from that because then like he mentioned you can start it however you want you can get to that a million ways but then having them play through and understand that kind of more later in the clock i thought was a really cool thing that i like that he talked about but also i wish we had more time because i think that's an interesting conversation you nailed it. I think that's so important to building an offense is, you know, how situations are going to end. So how do we play out of this spacing? How do we play out of the post? How do we play out of a hedge? You can start it a million different ways. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in how we like to start it, uh, Iverson, all these kind of movements. But at the end of the day, it's still going to result in some sort of baseline action. And your guys got to know how to play out of it and solve solutions from there. I'm with you. I think that would have been just an, another great conversation but obviously a longer conversation to have with him and we didn't want to turn it into a two-parter yeah well maybe we can just make that the bucket for the next coach to come yeah. on in eight hours <laughs> from now or yeah. it is. <laughs> once again you know we thank coach mary for coming on we wish him luck this season pat if there's nothing else we'll wrap this thing up sounds good thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next time Hi, I'm Jay Grossman. And I'm Drew Dunlop from the ProLane. We are excited to announce our partnership with Slapping Glass to bring you our Modern Game Truth series over the next year. This series will dive into what really happens in games, from identifying skills and concepts in film study to actionable insights that can be applied to your own practices and sessions. Join us as we guide you from theory to practice and practice to game day results. For more information, sign up for the Sunday morning newsletter or visit slappingglass.com. Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's that. Good. Those are all <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs>